Okay, the first reading is from Luke, Luke 17, starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And then turning over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, the last time we, uh, we visited you here at Riverbank, I think it was 2017, uh, maybe 2016 we, we came as well, um, but uh, it's, it's nice to be back and uh, I'm really glad and thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to be with you today and share from the Bible. Um, but just before we do, this is uh, what I mentioned before but didn't, didn't show, we have um, a new family photo for your fridge or your Bible or wherever you want to put it. Now, last week, two weeks ago, we uh, gave away more of them than we expected at another uh, fellowship. Uh, so we don't have enough for everyone here. If you'd like one this weekend, um, come and get some for me. I've got about 30, but otherwise we'll uh, get some more printed and uh, you'll find one in your pigeonhole at some point in the not too distant future. This morning together we're going to look uh, at Colossians, uh, just the second part of uh, what Chris read for us from verse 15 to 17. Um, <clears throat> but uh, let me start this way. When, uh, because of security requirements and security requirements for, the, for our lives in Asia, I never download my emails onto my devices, my phone, my computer. Uh, I always use webmail. And uh, anyway, when I sign out of my webmail, I am uh, taken to a news feed 
And usually, because there is someone who's paid a lot of money to grab my attention at that very point in time, um, I find something interesting to read. One of these times, uh, there was this particular article that got my attention. Uh, saying this one word will boost your mood by 25%. Now, what word do you think that might be? What word do you think it might be that might boost your mood by 25%? Mm. Well, that is what they said. So this article cited uh, researchers from three different universities in the US, and it, it quoted them saying this. People who say thank you and express gratitude get a pervasive and long-lasting mood boost. As an added bonus, they say that people who uh, say thanks were shown to begin exercising an additional hour and a half per week and experience fewer symptoms of physical illness. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Uh, Robert uh, Emmons, one of these researchers who was quoted in the article, has written a book, and the book's title is this, Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude can make you happier. It's a nice thought, uh, but just getting back to this article that uh, I stumbled upon, it was actually the subtitle of the article that was the most poignant um, as, you know, as, I, as, I, as I looked at it. So saying this one word can boost your mood by 25%, and then the subtitle, there's a catch. You have to mean it. Now, I think these researchers, through their scientific methodology, came across something that God has hardwired into this creation that the Bible has spoken about for centuries. It's not hard to find a focus on thankfulness when we open our Bibles. We read one story from the account of Jesus, these ten lepers, um, and the one who comes back says, thank you. We find thankfulness right through the scriptures. And today we're going to look at these three verses in Colossians 3. Three verses where three times we bump into the idea of thankfulness, gratitude, um, being thankful. But let's zoom out uh, a sec just to, uh, before we get to these three verses and look at the chapter. So, uh, in verses 1 to 4, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Paul is telling the Colossian Christians, and so he's telling us, who are you? Who are we? What is our identity? And he goes on and he says, you are people who have died with Christ. You are people who have been raised with Jesus already. You are people whose lives are hidden with Christ in God. This is who you are. Your identity is with Jesus. And then from verse 5 to verse 17, Paul goes on and shows us what this life looks like. What does a life lived as one who has their identity bound up so closely with Jesus, what does that look like? 
And he uses this imagery of taking off clothes and putting them back on again. Now, this is a daily thing. We do it all the time. You're all looking great this morning, but I presume you didn't sleep in the clothes that you're wearing right now, right? And so you took some clothes off and you put some clothes back on, and this is the imagery that Paul uses. So he says, uh, and in verse uh, 5 to um, 11, he has this list of things we need to take off, these vices, and so he talks about anger, and he talks about, about sexual immorality, he talks about greed, he talks about all sorts of things which they're like clothes we need to take off. We take off these things. When we are bound to Jesus in the way that we are, we take off these vices. And then from verse 12 to verse 16, 17, we're told what we are to put back on. Love. Forgiveness compassion, kindness. These are the clothes that we put back on when our identity is bound up in Jesus. And then he wraps up what he's saying in verse 17. Whatever you do, so whichever of the vices that you are taking off, whichever of the virtues that you are putting on, whatever you do, whether in word, whether it's coming out of your mouth, or indeed the things that you do, your actions. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the fame of his name, so that he will be honored. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now by saying that, giving thanks to God the Father through him, Paul is putting thankfulness, not simply as another one of these uh, items of clothing that we need to put on. But he's putting it up there as, as the thing that needs to mark everything. So if you can do this, if your imagination lets you uh, kind of picture it uh, in this way, imagine that thankfulness has a color. Okay? And that color is red. And so in your life as a Jesus follower you realize that you're not loving like you should be. And so you put on love. You are working hard at cultivating a spirit of love. But you know what color that love is? It's red. It's colored, it's, it's got splotches of red all over it because it needs to be giving thanks to God the Father through him. It takes that. Or if you realize that you have a temper that needs to come under the submission of Jesus, you have an issue with anger, all right, and you're wanting to take that off. And in all the work that you do to take off that, uh, that vice, that item of clothing, that too is splotched with red. Because red is the color of thankfulness, and thankfulness is the color of everything that we do. And whatever you do, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that raises the importance of thankfulness to, I think, at least for me, a, a new level. It's not just another virtue that we need, but it needs to color everything that we do. And so the question I want to ask you now is, if that is true, and it is, but if that is true, then what does it look like? What does it look like to live with this sort of thankfulness? 
And I was asking this question for myself because the last five years have been the hardest five years of my life. There have been hard things that I've had to do that I didn't expect. And as I've processed that, and as we were processing this over the last few years, one thing that was clear to me was that I was looking at what I didn't have and not what I did have, and thankfulness was missing. And so then the question came, well, what is thankfulness? What does it look like? Is it just saying thank you? I think that's a key question for us as Westerners. Is it just saying thank you? And living in another culture has been incredibly illuminating for me as I've pondered this question. Uh, I grew up in New Zealand, Western culture. I grew up, and from being knee-high to a grasshopper, my parents inculcated and cultivated in me the requirement to say thank you. Someone gives something to you, and you say thank you. Uh, they offer you something, and you go to take it, but they don't let go until you've said thank you. This becomes this automatic reflex that you get uh, of saying thank you. And, and so I have this, this habit, and it's a great habit, of saying thank you. Um, Ruben asked how long we've been married, 21 years, and most of that time, my wife has done the cooking. And uh, I will always say thank you. I didn't have to think about what I was going to eat, and I got to eat this amazing food. Uh, I appreciate it so much, and I'll say thank you to uh, Lydia. And if you are an English-speaking Westerner, if you're an English-speaking Aussie, I expect that this will be the same for you too. That saying thank you is this reflex that, was, uh, that you've grown up with. But if you're not an English-speaking foreigner, then I expect that it won't be. So I have this good friend in Asia. Uh, he's currently the principal of a, of a Bible college. His father was involved in ministry to the fortress people. He's actually from, from the fortress people themselves. Um, and his father uh, would often travel to Europe for developing partnership and meeting with Christians and engaging them in the work that was happening in, in Asia. And because his father spent a lot of time in Europe, his father picked up some European, uh, Western uh, ways of doing things. And anyway, my friend said, when we were kids, Dad told us that we had to say thank you to Mum for dinner. And he said, it felt foreign. It felt strange. In our part of Asia, that culture... It's a culture where your station in life is a much more important part and much more fixed than what life is for us here. And doing your duty is a much more important part of who you are and how you live. It's an accepted part of life. You do your duty. It's not about whether you enjoy it or not. You do your duty as part of your family uh, and this web of relationships that you have there. And saying thank you to someone who has simply done their duty, because that's just what's expected of them, is odd. It's strange. In our part of Asia, you say thank you to someone who is higher than you in society's pecking order. Someone who has no cultural duty to help you. Someone 
who then by definition is relationally distant from you. And so a government official who doesn't have to do anything for you, but might do that. So it certainly means you don't say thank you to a friend. I've been told off by my friends there for saying thank you. And you definitely don't say thank you to your mum for cooking dinner. And so here we have saying thank you in two different cultures actually doing two different things. One of them is actually drawing you relationally closer and the other is drawing you relationally apart. Now this cultural discovery was fascinating uh, for us and also incredibly difficult to adapt to. I don't know how many times I've said thank you and been told off for saying thank you. Uh, it's a hard habit to break and it feels wrong not to say thank you because I'm so deeply Western in how I think about this side of life. But it begs a question, doesn't it? Is saying thank you actually important? And maybe every bone in your body says yes to that question. But I just want you to pause for a second. Paul told us, and we've discovered this already, that, that thankfulness is this key part of who we are as followers of Jesus. But my next question to you is this. Is it possible to be thankful without saying thank you? Is it possible to express thankfulness without saying those words? Well, I asked my friend, uh, who's the Bible College principal, uh, He's now married with two children, and his wife does most of the cooking in their family. And so I said, well, what do you do? Like, do you say thank you to your wife? And he said, no. He doesn't say thank you to his wife for preparing dinner. And so then I followed, asked the follow-up question of, well, what do you do to show appreciation? Like, I presume you appreciate that she prepares your food. And he said, yes. And what do you do? And he says, I tell her. I say, it was very good. Now what is that? That is thankfulness without saying thank you. That is thankfulness without saying thank you. Now hold that thought and then come, come over here with me. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't really want, but you received it anyway and said thank you? I can see you smiling. You knew where I was going. Right? We've done this all the time. It's a common habit. Why? Is that inappropriate? It's actually not inappropriate. But what is that? Right? That is saying thank you without thankfulness. So, uh, so what we've just done is we've, we've broken that link. Thankfulness and thank you are not automatically the same. And that's really, really important. Um, saying thank you can be the perfect way of expressing thankfulness. But it can also simply function as a word of cultural politeness. Uh, a word that greases the relational cogs that make Western culture, Australian culture, work. So we don't kind of bristle up against each other in the same way. And that's good. It's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's just a cultural thing. It's just how we do it as Westerners. Uh, it serves some really valuable, valuable places. Uh, we acknowledge someone's existence, we say thank you. There's, there's all sorts of good things that happen when we say thank you. 
But there's a danger. And here's the danger. We can think that just because we've said thank you, and just because we've said thank you to God in prayer, for example, that that automatically means that we've been thankful. And that we've automatically done what Paul is, is telling us here. When actually we've just been polite. Now, I'm all for being polite. That's fine. That helps Western culture flow. But with thankfulness so high on the pedestal, as Paul puts it in Colossians 3 verse 17, I think you'll agree with me that it's important that we don't mistake thankfulness for something else. That we don't mistake thankfulness for cultural politeness. Because thankfulness flows out of who we are in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. And politeness flows out from who we are as Westerners. And they're two different things. So what is thankfulness? What is it that Paul is calling us to? What is it that is supposed to color absolutely everything that we do in our lives? Well, I've got three thoughts I want to share with you that kind of move on and develop from each other. Um, and the first is this. Thankfulness is an inward and Godward thing. It's a disposition of our heart. In verse 16, uh, Paul then finishes that verse, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's an inward thing. One uh, time, this is now going back four years, I think, um, I was driving through our city in Asia and I got pulled over by a policeman. I got pulled over because I'd done the wrong thing. No questions asked. Um, and uh, anyway, I'd done the wrong thing. Um, he came and chatted to me. And then he left me in the car sweating in my seat. It was a terrible moment. He had talked about things like impounding the car and this, that, and the other thing. And it wasn't that bad. But it just... Um, anyway, uh, he eventually comes back to the window and he says to me, You're our guest. Off you go. Don't do it again. Now, in that moment, I felt incredible relief. Right? Relief is this thing where you, there's all this pressure, you're not sure what the outcome is going to be, and all of a sudden the pressure is gone. There's relief. Thankfulness is relief turned Godward. Thankfulness is relief turned Godward. Relief by itself is simply a me-centered thing. Phew, I'm off the hook. Uh, I'm not going to have to bear this particular consequence or go through this particular difficulty. But thankfulness is when that relief turns Godward. So, so the first thing about thankfulness is that it's an inward and Godward thing. Which then it makes sense that actually a word will not actually cover uh, you there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is as I think about thankfulness, I picture a pot on the stove that is bubbling, bubbling over. And I get that imagery from Colossians 2 verse 6 and 7. If you have your Bibles open, flick there, uh, just a page before, probably. So Paul is saying, So just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever seen milk boiling, boiling over. 
making chai for is a almost a daily experience in in Asia, and the amount of milk that that I put in when I'm when I'm cooking chai means that this experience of boiling milk is uh, is a very familiar one for me. And what happens if you don't know is when you put milk on the boil. And, uh, and it takes a while and it slowly warms up and you start getting these bubbles. And unlike water, which just bubbles and bubbles and the bubbles get more, uh, more excited, milk does this incredible thing where it starts bubbling and slowly bubbling and all of a sudden it seethes. It seethes up and over and unless you turn the heat off, it will just keep going and you will have a big mess on your stove. And I've done that far too many times with chai. When it comes to milk boiling over, you want to turn the heat down, all right? Because you don't want the mess to clean up. But with thankfulness, you want to leave the heat on. That thankfulness is this thing that bubbles up, that, that comes from inside and bubbles up out of us into our lives in a practical, lived-out way. And we want to turn the heat up. And so this inward thing called thankfulness bubbles up like milk uh, under the right conditions in the right heat. But there's this other reality about thankfulness, this third thing, which is we can't actually create thankfulness. We can't make ourselves thankful. You could hear a thousand sermons telling you to be thankful and it will do nothing in your life to cultivate thankfulness. You can't force yourself to be thankful. Even for the greatest gift... Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection, these incredible realities, you cannot force yourself to be thankful for them. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't cultivate true thankfulness. You can only cultivate the conditions in which thankfulness will boil over. And so what are those conditions? What, are the, what is the heat on which our hearts will bubble over with thankfulness? Well, I think we have some of the answer, at least, in our passage. Uh, the first thing you'll notice if you look at 15, 16, and 17, Colossians 3, is this is a together thing. Verse 15, Paul says, As members of one body. This is something we must do together. You can't, this is not just a you and God thing. This is something that, as Riverbank Christian Church, this is something that you need to do. This is a together reality, something that we need each other for and we can't do without one another. This is a together thing. And then we have these really two interesting commands. They're interesting grammatically. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell among you. Grammatically, they're curious because they're commands but they're passive. It's like, do something, but don't do it. It's, it's kind of strange. It's like um, if my, uh, one of my daughters is trying to do her shoelace. Now, this was a reality earlier. She's learned how to do her shoelaces now, but, but, and it just was frustrating for her. She couldn't do it. It was, it was starting to wind her up. And what do I say to her? Let me tie your shoelace. Now, what is that? What does she need to do to, to obey that, that command? Nothing. She needs to stop. 
She needs to stop trying herself and let me do that for her. Let the peace of Christ rule you. Let the word of God dwell in you. They're the same sort of command. How do we obey this command? We stop and let God do something. These are acts of submission in which Jesus does something and we don't. We allow him to do something for us and in us. And so, Paul says, let the peace of Christ dwell in you. The peace of Christ is already a reality. He gave it to us as as his church. And so this is saying to you, let this rule you. And so the question comes to us, is conflict, is bitterness a big part of your life? To the extent that conflict or bitterness is a big part of your life, to that same extent, thankfulness will not be. Because you can't cultivate it. Uh, The word of Christ, let the word of Christ, the message of Christ dwell in you. We have the message of Christ. It has been given to us. All right. Paul says, let it live in you. In other words, don't resist it. Don't fight against it. Don't try to be wiser than it. Submit to its wisdom. Let others speak and sing these realities into your lives. Sing and speak that into other people's lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To the extent that you resist the word of God that you resist the scriptures, to that extent, you will not be able to cultivate thankfulness. Someone else had to do something to make these two gifts available to you. And that was Jesus. When he died, when he lived, when he rose again, when he did these things, he provided for us. These and more. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ. He gave them to us. These are the conditions under which, this is the heat under which thankfulness can bubble over in your life. Together, submitting to the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Which tells us something about thankfulness. That thankfulness is an act of humility in itself. Proud people can't be thankful. Because thankfulness requires us to say, to think, something has been done for me that I couldn't do for myself. Something has been done for me that I didn't do for myself. And proud people can't can't say that. Thankfulness changes everything. But how do we make it a reality in our lives? How can it be that inward Godward thing that bubbles up? We can't force it. We can let it happen. So as we finish up, I want you simply to to take one or two things away and and really think about them and, 
And actually, don't just think about them, but talk about them with someone. Is there someone in your life who can say to you about a particular situation, if the peace of Christ was ruling you right now, what would that look like? If the word of Christ was dwelling in you, what, what difference would that make in this, in this moment? Are there people in your life, in your lives, who can say, oh, was that influenced by pride? Was that something that was, was that pride that's eating you up there? Is that why you responded in, in that way? We need people like this in our lives. And whether that's in your families, uh, between husband and wife, whether that's in your small groups, your community groups, your Bible study groups, whatever you call them here, um, are these places that you are vulnerable with each other and you will share? Because together, you need to do this work. As a church, as believers together, you won't cultivate thankfulness on your own, I don't think. Not like Paul requires it of us. And you can't force it. You can't force it, but you can cultivate the conditions in which it can grow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have done everything for us. And when you say to us, let the peace of Christ rule you are saying to us, stop. Stop trying and allow something I've already given you to influence and impact you. When you say, or when, when you say through Paul, let the word of Christ, let the message of Christ dwell in you. You're saying to us, stop. Let it come. Don't resist. We want thankfulness to be as high a place in our lives as what Paul urges it to be in Colossians 3 verse 17. And as we live those lives, I pray for this church family, this church community, for all who are part of it, who are connected to it, that you would cultivate in this place relationships that are deep and rich and vulnerable where people can, can have these conversations and together grow in the thankfulness that you urge on us, the thankfulness which will lift our lives and create, through hard times, a richness and a beauty that we will find nowhere else. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your gifts to us. We pray in your name. Amen.